Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. So great to be with you guys tonight. I love Sunday nights. Um, it's an opportunity for us to kind of just dig a little bit deeper into the Word of God. We're going through the Song of Solomon. And if you remember, I had expressed last time that we were together, there are three objectives in marriage. And we got through the first two. The first was becoming one. This is one that is directed by God. Um, if you go with, stay in Song of Solomon, I'll read it for you. you. Maybe you'll write it down in your own notes. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the Bible makes a direction they shall become one flesh. That's a direction. They shall become. One of the objectives of marriage is that we become one flesh. Well, we talked today, self-centeredness is at the root of most of our problems. And when this guy was so romantic, shows up calling him my love, my perfect one. She says back to him, I'm taking a bath. I'm not coming out there to you, right? I mean, she was just cantankerous and she was letting him know, I'm not, you and I, it's not happening tonight, babe. Now, let me tell you, they're already married, okay? But physical union is only one part of becoming one. Remember, the word sex is not found in the Bible. It, the word that is used is knowledge. And Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Because intimacy is not just the physical act. Intimacy involves emotions. It involves our, our mental capacities. It involves every aspect of our nature, not just a physical act. So we talked about the fact that becoming one is the first and, uh, objective of marriage. Secondly, we talked about the importance of dying to self. Now, we highlighted that today as well in our text, but it's important for us to have the objective to die to self. And we talked about the triple A, and I want to just reiterate the triple A and kind of land my plane a little bit with the triple A if I can for just a moment. We need to develop rules of conflict because if you are in a relationship, you're going to have a fight. Amen? Amen. Is there any, uh, before I say that, is there any married couple in here or a couple that is together that has never argued? Can you just raise your hand? That's not true. I know Aaron. Sonia, put your hand down. <laughs> and I want you to say with me, I am a sinner. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Those two go together. It's like the double S, okay? I'm a sinner. And listen, if you want to end an argument, and just look at your spouse and go, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. I can't believe that just came out of my mouth, right? But I want to talk real quickly about the AAA, okay? Because I think these are two, three great rules of conflict. We very quickly went through them last week, but I want to start here to do a little bit of review because conflict is not negative. It can actually be constructive. Conflict is not negative. It can actually be constructive. And let me tell you why. Usually about month three, the honeymoon is over. 
Okay, all the baby sweetie honeys that come out of the honeymoon is done, okay? Remember I talked about pumpkin. Like, please do not call your spouse a pumpkin. It could be prophetic. Like, if you say, hey, pumpkin, they'll look like a pumpkin in a little bit. Like, you don't want pumpkin, okay? Don't call them tomato. It's like, to me, it blows my mind why we would call our spouse a fruit. I don't even know, is it a fruit or a vegetable? It's a vegetable? Okay, great. Let's not do pumpkin. But after all the baby sweeties and honeys come out of the honeymoon, all of a sudden, your spouse begins to annoy you, or the, rela- the relationship you're in, it begins to annoy you. Well, there's going to be conflict, but conflict can a- actually express they finally trust you. Let me tell you what I mean. I have sat with marital couples, and they have said, this is not the man I married. And I have said, yes, it is. You're just getting to know him. <laughs> Aaron, I noticed you and Sonia have moved closer tonight. Is there some things that you need to confess? Like, <laughs> Great. Okay, we'll do prayer afterwards. All right, so here's the deal. When your spouse begins to express things that you don't like, what they're actually doing is trusting you. You are seeing the real person. The guards are down. You're married. And now they're going to be exposing themselves to you. And it will produce conflict, but conflict can be constructive if you realize they're actually trusting you with the real person. Now, maybe that real person needs to change. And maybe there needs to be growth and development, but the way you handle it will help you grow, and by communicating it will help them grow. So let's talk about these triple A's. The first, agree quickly. This is the important understanding, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, I read an article the other day about this particular uh, thing, and um, the, the guy said, hey, you know that whole don't let go, sun go down on your anger? Um, I haven't slept for months, so how do I handle this? Listen, the idea is not that you don't go to sleep. The idea is that you deal with it before you go to sleep. Because once the sun goes down on your anger, you are in jeopardy of bitterness and resentment beginning to fester. One sundown on anger can create bitterness and resentment. So the Bible is making it very clear, agree with your adversary, and if your spouse is your adversary, agree with them quickly. You've got to make a goal. Now, remember what we talked about. You may need some time of separation like our couple did in the midst of their fight. You may need to let the whole biological anger thing work through you. And that usually is about 20 to 30 minutes. And you may need to get a little bit calm and cool and collect so that you can have a good conversation, but you don't want to let two and three days pass and you've not solved the argument. Secondly, we talked about accept each other unconditionally. Isn't that love? Love is unconditional. You married an imperfect person. You are in relationship with a sinner. You are in a relationship with someone that is working on their issues, but can I remind you, so are you. You're not perfect. You, you are working on things in your own life. You can't expect someone else to be perfect when you're not. So you've got to accept 
each other unconditionally. There are differences between a man and a woman. Andrea likes operas. I like action movies. Period. I don't watch any other kind of movie. I watch action. When we sit down, Andrea knows. She goes to A, action. We're just, that is what I do. But when we go to New York, I watch It's unbelievable that I can actually sit through the whole deal, okay? Listen, I don't do anything for more than two hours. I don't even surf for more than two hours. Like, I'm just a a person that once I do something for about an hour and a half, I'm done with it, and I'm ready to move to the next thing. We've had students go on vacation with us, and they were supposed to be with us for a week. After three days, two of them looked at me and my family and said, we have to leave. And I said, why? This is vacation. He goes, you're wearing us out. We go surfing, we go spearfishing, we go here, we go there, we go there. And I go, I know, that's called vacation. No, that's called wear people out, we're leaving, okay? This is what my wife has had to deal with for 30 years. God bless her. You guys applaud for my wife. She's like, uh... (laughs) And she has accepted me unconditionally. Now when I'm ready to go surfing, there's a towel that's waiting. Seriously. She will actually help me get out of the house. Now, I think she just needs a break. (laughs) You know, when I'm getting ready to go on a mission trip, great, where are you going this time? It's like, I think she coordinates with different missionaries. Like, can you call this month? You know, I don't know what it is, but she supports my way of being. And my job is to support her way of being. So if she likes operas, guess what? God's put us together and maybe I need a little bit of opera in my life in New York City. Now, I'm sitting there like this the entire time, okay? But I actually have learned over 30 years of relationship to embrace the things that she likes. My least favorite color is purple. My least, guess what? Her favorite color is purple. She likes to wear purple. I don't like purple, but now I love purple. You know why I love purple? Because she does. It's just what it is, okay? So we have to accept. Now, she has a goal that we will, and this is a goal that I will never agree to. Her parents, I think they're watching, love you. Her parents wear the same clothes every day. Like white jeans and the same shirt. Like the same clothes, okay? I'm not kidding. They, like, I know you guys are going, really? No, they do. And Andrea has a goal that one day I will wear the same clothes as her. And anytime we even dress appropriately, Adonis will look at us and be like, it's happening. I'll go change. I will purposely go change, okay? Now, there's one thing I've told her, it's just not going to happen. But we've got to accept each, oh, the other, the other thing is feet. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. <laughs> Andrea likes to touch me with her feet. <laughs> like in bed, she'll go like, like, like this. And I'm like, don't do that. Do you know where they have been? And, and the, uh, Jocelyn, I just gave a mean look to you. Okay, here's the deal. All right. Um, I'm just not a feet person. Okay. And anyway, uh, we'll talk about it later. Okay. Accept each other unconditionally. Andrea is a germaphobe. And she will, listen, she's lived in Africa, okay? Literally lived in Africa in the middle of a war. We didn't even have soap. 
She came back and she became a germaphobe. Now, if we go to a restaurant and she touches the menu, she gets up to go wash her hands before she eats. All the ladies are going, oh, yeah, I totally get that. All the guys are like, it's a menu. I've learned to accept it, and now I laugh. When she leaves, I go, she's going to go wash her hands. Well, why? And I have to tell the guy, because the girl is going with her, because that's what girls do. I don't understand it, but when one girl stands up, the other girl all of a sudden has to pee. So it's like, everyone has to get up, and now they all go to the It's like, what do you guys do in there? I don't understand why. Can you imagine if a guy got up, and all the guys go, yeah, I'm going to go too. It's so weird. So... I'm on a roll tonight. But I'll look at the guy and I'll be like, oh, she's going to go wash her hands. I know exactly where she's not going to go to the bathroom. She's going to wash her hands. She'll come back. I go, what'd you do? Wash her hands. And we just, ha, ha, ha. It's so funny. Accept each other unconditionally. Thirdly, acknowledge diversity. Thank God Andrea's not like me. The problem is we want our wives or we want our husbands to be... Imagine, ladies, if our, the, all the husbands were like you, you know? And we came into church, hey, everybody, how you doing? You know, just imagine... I'm sorry, I'm being, sorry, very generally, like, I'm, I'm, whatever the word is. I'm generalizing. But just imagine if all the guys wore pink because you did. I mean, I'm not saying that pink is, is not a masculine color. Just stay with me for just a moment. I'm trying to come up with an illustration here. But the understanding is Andrea is different than me. And that's a good thing. And the reason why I say that is because most couples are looking for compatibility. But that's not what the Word of God calls us to. The Word of God calls us to be suitable or comparable. And let me explain what that word means. It's two puzzle pieces that are completely different but yet fit together. They're completely different, but they fit perfectly. Thank God for my children's sake that Andrea is different from me. When my kids would fall down at home, do you know what I would say to them? Suck it up. You know what she would do? Oh, come here. Let's wash it. And, let's, and I'm looking at her and I go, this is pitiful. You are generating a pansy, okay? Listen, I, seriously, I would get so upset with her. Like, I can't believe. Would you just tell the boy, suck it up. It's a little bit of blood. Lick it if you need to. Like, seriously, this was my mentality. But her mentality, because she's different than me, was to love on um, our children in a way that it's just not in my capacity to love the way that it really isn't. To w- love the way, uh, I'll give you an example. When our first child was born, okay, <laughs> we really expected for him to look like pampers. We didn't know they looked like they looked. Like no one showed us a newborn before. It was like, and when he came out, he was gross. Like, <laughs> I looked at him shocked, like, like, oh my good God, what did you just deliver? <laughs> Is that human? Like, his head was in a cone and all bruised, and it was like, he, I mean, he was puffy. I mean, he's having a rough day. Imagine what he just went through. But I mean, it was like one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh, this thing is ugly. And my wife could see my face, and out of her mouth, she goes, he's healthy, okay? He's healthy. She always finds the good, 
always finds the good. For example, I will, if I want to describe someone, I will pick your worst quality. Oh, you know, the guy that's got the really big nose. Like, I'll say something like that, okay? Andrew will go, oh, you know, he's just so handsome. He's got a really good furrowed brow. And it's just a difference between the two of us. Well, you've got to acknowledge the diversity. That way you can appreciate it. When we were traveling through Africa, Andrea was nine months pregnant. When we were living in Africa, she was nine months pregnant. And I thought, I can put her on a plane. And I didn't want her to deliver in Liberia. So I wanted her to deliver in Ivory Coast so that there was, there was war in Liberia. And we didn't know when war was going to break out. The last thing I wanted was for her to go into labor. And then war breaks out. And she's giving birth in the middle of a war. So in about almost like eight and a half months, I was going to fly her to Ivory Coast. We were young. I didn't know you can't fly. And I was thinking, Africa, who's going to care, right? I get to the airport and they say, you can't travel. And I'm like, what do you mean she can't travel? She's got to go deliver this child. And well, not on this airplane. She can't travel this pregnant. Well, I didn't know that. The next thing we know, my nine-month pregnant wife, so a week later, she's almost nine months, we go on a 29-hour journey to get to the border of Ivory Coast in Liberia, and then we do a 24-hour journey on a bus so that she can get to a hospital to be delivered by a woman that doesn't even speak English. We had to have a translator in the room with us. Well, as we are getting ready, Andrea starts packing a little box. I'm like, well, what are you packing? She goes, well, just in case you have to deliver this baby, I want to have everything for you, and it'll be right in this box. Andrea, put the box away. I am not putting another box into this car. We can't fit anything else in this car. Number one, if you deliver on the way though, I'm not delivering this baby. Oh, yes, you are delivering this baby. No, I'm not. The other one was pitifully ugly, and I'm afraid that if I take this one out, like you should have heard me going on, we're not putting another box. Thank God we had the box. She didn't deliver, praise the Lord. Okay, she didn't deliver until we got there. But when some of you are like, I can't believe you're the senior pastor of this church. (laughs) I'm being honest with my Sunday night crew, okay? And this was 25 years ago. I've grown in my faith, okay? Wow, God bless you guys. (laughs) Remind me not to be so honest. All right, here's the deal. I'm so thankful that she packed that little box. And you know, she always packs that little box. She's always prepared for every emergency. I'm not. And do you know how many times on our family vacations we've used that box? A lot. And she never looks at me and goes, told you. She never does. She just takes the box out and she begins to use it. The AAA. Agree quickly accept unconditionally, and acknowledge diversity. Now, let's pick it up in Song of Solomon. We're going to pick it up there in chapter 6, verse 4. And this is our third objective in marriage. Be ready to forgive. The Bible says in Psalm 86, verse 5, that God is ready to forgive. I need to define what this word ready is. I know none of you do horse races, but I think you'll get the understanding because none of us gamble in here. Amen? Okay, only three people said amen. All right. So when the horse is behind the gate, that horse is ready. In fact, in that horse's spirit, they're already running. 
They are ready as soon as that gate opens to explode out of the gate and to win the race. That is a picture of the word ready. As soon as we confess our sin, the gate goes up and all of heaven starts charging towards us. God is ready to forgive. It's an objective of marriage. Take a look at Song of Solomon. Our couple has been in their fight. Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 4. Oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Tirzah, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. She's gone to the garden where he, she knows that he's at. And as soon as he sees her, he turns around with the flowers that he was picking, remember last week. He turns around with the flowers and he speaks words of forgiveness to her. You see, there's a behavior with forgiveness that he expresses. There's a behavior about forgiveness. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, he was on the cross when he said it. And the way that he said it, I guarantee, was not like this. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That was not our Lord. His behavior was displaying, I am forgiving you. This guy's behavior is in the display that I'm ready to forgive. He's in love with her. And let me tell you something about love. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, let me express what that means. Love puts your hand over the situation and sees beyond it. It sees the relationship that can grow despite the problem. Love covers a multitude, not just one or two, a multitude of sin. It covers over and it sees beyond. Let me express it in regards to raising our children. There was a time when we were in the Bahamas and my son was about seven years old, okay? We, and we had moved to the Bahamas and he had done something unbelievable on our way into the grocery store. So I said to him, I go, son, if you choose to do that one more time, I'm taking you into the bathroom and we're going to have a little conversation. He looked at me in the store and he said this to me, dad, if you spank me, I'm going to run to a camera and I'm going to scream, abuse, abuse. The fathers right now are like, I hope you whooped him. <laughs> the moms are like, oh, that's so cute. No, it's not. Okay, listen. So we were in aisle five when he says this to me. Now, remember, we're in the Bahamas. We're not in the United States of America. We go into aisle six, and there is a Bahamian woman. She has taken her shoe off. She is whooping her child like this. And let me tell you something about Bahamian women. When they are whooping their children, okay, they will spank them until they're finished talking. And if they don't, can't think of another word to say, they'll do this. Don't you ever, 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 ever. And this one was happening in aisle six as he just goes, I'm going to go to the camera. I walk right past the woman. And she looked at me and she says, boy, leave him with me. I'll deal with him. I'll cut his hip today. And he goes, dad, I'm sorry. Don't leave me here with this woman. (laughs) 
Now, that young boy is a 27-year-old graduate of St. Andrews University in Scotland and just got his master's degree at the University of Colorado Boulder. He's a responsible 28-year-old man. You know why? Because at seven, I covered over the multitude of sins and I saw the adult man. That's what couples do. We don't focus on the problem. We cover over the problem and we see what our marriage can become in faith. That's what's happening here. He covers over a multitude of sin. Now, I want you to see, she doesn't say a word as he's loving on her. Ladies, sometimes gentle and quiet goes a long way. Now, ladies, I know you got 50,000 words in a day. And gentlemen, I know we only got 15,000 words a day. But if he is communicating a measure of forgiveness, gentle and quiet goes a long way. And he tells her, you're lovely. You're beautiful. And what I love about this He chooses truly to cover over her bad attitude and sees what she can become. You are beautiful. He says, you're as beautiful as Tirzah and Jerusalem. And basically what he's saying is, you are beautiful on the inside and the outside. And her behavior wasn't beautiful. I'm taking a bath. You remember what she said? She was selfish. But he chooses to see what she can become. Turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. First Peter, ladies, this one's for you. For, and don't worry, I'm going to get the guys too, okay? First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. Look what the Bible says. First Peter chapter 3, speaking to wives, verse 3, okay? Verse 1. Let's go more than 1. Wives, like, uh, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. I don't know why we have such an issue with, with that word when it simply uh, uh, means that we are to, as, uh, sorry, not we, women, there's a responsibility in your gender role to be submissive to the leader. But the leader is responsible to love you as Christ loves the church. Now listen to what he says. If you've got a husband or a spouse that's not loving as Christ loves the church, look at the response he says. That even if some don't obey the word, they're not loving you like they should. Now you've got an excuse to be mean, ornery, and cantankerous. That's not what it says. For those of you that were looking for it, okay, it's not what it says. Take a look. That they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe, when they watch your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. In other words, your husband is not fulfilling his role, but Christ is always fulfilling the role. So you're choosing to honor God despite the fact that your husband is not honorable. I'll take a look. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Now, it doesn't say don't do it. It just says don't let it be the only thing that you do. He says, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit 
which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. For in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and not are afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise. In other words, you've got a responsibility. Dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, being heirs together of the grace of life. Listen, that your prayers may not be hindered. Do you realize, husbands, that if you are not treating your wife the way that God wants you to, your relationship with God is off. He don't listen. He don't listen. So the responsibility more so is on the husband. Now, I'm gonna, I have a question with God when I get to heaven. This whole dwell with your wife with understanding blows my mind. Because my wife and I don't think anything alike, okay? We, she just recently, she texted me. She texted me and she goes, she went to this estate sale and she texted me and she said, do you like this table? I said, no, I don't like it. I looked at my mom and I said to her, my mom and I were sitting there. My mom's moved in with us for a little while. And Andre and her are best friends. It's great. We love having my mom there. But I looked at my mom and I said, she's going to come home with it. Guess what? She came home with it. She put it in our little, we've got this little reading room. She put it in our reading room. I don't like the table. I was reading in our reading room the other night. I got up from the chair and I knocked my knee on this table. My knee still hurts. I hate this table. She loves it. She loves it. I'm working out a marital issue right now with Andrea. So if you guys want to counsel us, you're more than welcome to. The point is, and what I'm trying to get across is that we're different. And this dwell with your wife with understanding. Gentlemen, listen. It's a lifelong effort to understand where she's at. You are purposing to try at every turn to understand where your wife is at. This honors God. This lifelong pursuit of trying to understand her, it honors God. Now take a look what happens. Go back with me to Song of Solomon, chapter 6. We're going to pick it up there in verse 5. She says, Turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me. Now listen to what he responds. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Now remember we said the way they communicated their love back then is probably not the way that you want to communicate your love today. Wow, your hair looks like goats. God bless you. No, no, that's not what you want to say, okay? Going down from Gilead. So what, what do we know that he's doing? He's taking off her veil and her hair falls. He's beginning to romance her. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep which have come up from the washing. Wow, you got all your teeth still. It's beautiful. This was a very big quality when you didn't have braces and false teeth, okay? So she's like, wow, you got all your teeth. Everyone bears twins. You got all of them. None of them is barren among them. Like a piece of pomegranate are your temples behind your veil. Wow, this is the same words that he used to romance her on their honeymoon night. He's reminding her 
of their first love. That's what Jesus told us to do. Because sometimes we can get so busy about doing marriage and doing family that we forget our spouse. And what he's doing is what Jesus told the church to do. Hey, I love all the busyness, but you forgot your first love. And sometimes we need to be reminded. And maybe you read a letter that you wrote when you were dating. Maybe you remind of an event that you did, oh, 20, 30 years ago. He's reminding of her first love. Look at verse 8. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. Oh, my goodness. He's got a new way to communicate love. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, the favorite one of, who bore her. The daughters saw her and called her blessed. The queens and the concubines, they praised her. Now, you're the lady listening to this. And your man is looking at you going... You are the sexiest thing alive. You are beautiful. You are hot. It's like you are the only woman in the world. And you got all your teeth. (laughs) He is speaking words of life into her. He's so in love with her that he's ravished by her. He is blessed that she has come to the garden where he's been, and he's blessed that she wants to change. Let me explain something. Listen, ladies and guys, humility is the key to change. She came, she humbled himself, herself, and now he responds with love. And the best thing about making up in marriage is intimacy. You see, he's loving her as Christ loves the church. Can I tell you something? When we mess up, Jesus isn't mad at us. He pursues us to get us back in relationship with him. That's why we feel conviction from the Spirit. This is Conviction from the Spirit is not Jesus going, I'm mad at you. Conviction from the Spirit is Jesus pursuing you to get back into relationship with us. So look what happens in verse 10. Who is she? Who looks forth as the morning? Ooh, they've had a great night, and now it's the next morning. Who is she who looks forth as the morning? Fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as an army with banners. They've had a great night. I don't know if it was in the garden or they went back to the house, but they have woken up, and now they're talking to each other. You see, they have chose to walk in the light and they're recognizing we had a problem. We had a problem. The fruit of forgiveness is that it exposes darkness and it shows the way home. So clear as the sun, the light has shone on their relationship. And what I love what this couple is doing, they're asking questions about the conflict now that the conflict is over. It's so important. They've embraced each other. They've forgiven each other. They've had a great night together. They've had an intimate night together. And it's the next day, and now they're asking questions. How did that happen? And I love that because they want to know how to grow. And they want to know how to change. 
And they want to use this conflict to be constructive. So they're asking each other questions. And she responds. Look what she responds in verse 11. I went down to the garden of nuts. Now, don't go there in your mind. That's not what she's saying. I went down to the garden of nuts to see the verdure of the valley, to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranates had bloomed. And before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. She's responding to the question, and what she's doing is she's reviewing everything that happened. Okay, let me think about this. I was upset, so I went to the garden where I knew you would be. I wanted to find out, like, were we good? She knew what she had to do. She knew she had to go. She knew she had to humble himself. She had to put the AAA. She had to agree quickly. She had to acknowledge this diversity. She had to accept unconditionally. And he responds with forgiveness. And now, as they're talking about this, she's expectant of something new. She's talking about pomegranates that are in bloom. She's talking about a vine that has budded. She's expecting that this conflict will produce something new in the relationship that is different so they don't enter into that conflict again. She's reminded of how she was changed, listen carefully, by his love. When you're in the midst of a conflict, it takes one person to change the moment. If you'll just humble yourself like this lady did, she is setting for us an incredible example. If you'll just humble yourself in the moment and say, I'm a sinner, I'm sorry. It's amazing how an act of humility will end the enemy's attack in your relationship. It worked for this couple. Trust me, it'll work for you. Look what she says in verse 13. Return, return, O Shulamite. Return, return, that we may look upon you. What would you see in the Shulamite? As it were, the dances of two camps. What she's saying, return, is repent. The friends are now watching this, and they're seeing the two come together, and they're shouting out loud, repentance works, repentance works. The humility of repentance is the key that unlocks the door to restoration in relationships. But you've got to be humble. And they, the book of the Bible says, as it were, the dance of two camps. Once again, there in that morning, they unite in intimacy because they have talked about their conflict and they have ended this issue and now they have come together in this relationship. All right. Let's, if you would, now go into Song of Solomon chapter 7. Now, before we go in here, I need to let you know They've resolved this conflict. It ended with intimacy. And now as we go into chapter 7, we're in a different era of their life. Years have passed. Years have passed. So I want to drop in on this couple, and I want to see how they're doing. Now remember, in this scene, they are much older. And that's going to make more and more sense as we read into this. They're much, much older. And let's remember... They have chosen purity in their premarital relationship over passion. They purpose to catch the little foxes. They found solutions. 
when they had problems. They didn't run from them. They poured great foundation in their premarital and marital relationship, and now you're going to see how it pays off in their marriage. Let me tell you what this couple decided to do. They decided to honor God, not themselves. They decided to live by faith instead of by feelings. So let's take a look at this couple, Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 1. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O prince's daughter. The curves of your thighs are like jewels. The work of the hand of a skillful workman. Oh my goodness. What is happening in chapter 7? This husband is now not pulling her veil off for her hair to come down like a bunch of goats from Gilead. No, 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 no. He is romancing her from the feet up. I wish I could do this. (laughs) But I've already told you I've got an issue with feet, okay? And... My wife would probably long, now let me make some confession. My wife would probably love for me to even rub her feet. I wish I could. I, I, there's something about, now, now all the ladies, you pray for me, because one day I'm going to get there, okay, where I will be able, I'm going to grow spiritually, and I'm going to do this. But what I love about this guy is he's teaching me. He is romancing her differently. And he doesn't start from her head now. He's starting from her feet. This guy's in love with her, washing her feet. And he's letting her know in the latter years of their life that she is an elegant woman. He lets her know that you are a beautiful piece of artwork of God. Your thighs are like jewels. Now take a look what he says. Verse 2. Your navel is a rounded goblet. That's just gross. That's a, listen, it lacks no blended beverage. That's a big navel, okay? (laughs) That is more like a, like a, a serving dish. I mean, she can hold a lot of fluid in there, okay? And he is attracted to this for some reason. She said, your navel is a rounded goblet. It lacks no blended beverage. Your waist is a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Now, when you would tie wheat together, okay, you would go out in the field, you tie wheat together, you would tie it in the center, and when you tied it in the center, It would look like this. And what he's saying to her is, your body is perfectly curved. I'm intoxicated with your figure. Now remember, they're older. They're older. And he ain't looking around at younger women. He is enraptured with the wife of his youth. Verse 3. Your two breasts are like two fawns 
twins of a gazelle. Now, in other words, she is becoming aroused by his sexual romantic conversation. Now, look at verse 4. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Beth Rabim. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. That's a big nose. Which looks toward Damascus. Just imagine this thing. It's like, whoa. (laughs) Listen, I don't know if noses are like the way that you want to communicate, but I want you to see he has worked from her feet Now he's come up all the way to her chest and now he's on her face. He's gone up her neck and he's just taking his time up her neck and says of her neck, your neck is like an ivory tower. Okay, this is much better than what he communicated earlier. Go back with me to Song of Solomon chapter 4. Song of Solomon chapter 4. Look what he said in Song of Solomon chapter 4. Not like an ivory tower. He says, your neck is like the Tower of David built for an armory on which hang a thousand bucklers. Okay? He has grown. Our guy has grown up. So what he says earlier is, you got a strong neck. Now he's saying, you have a... I guess necks were beautiful back then. I, I don't know. But now he's saying to her, you have a beautiful neck. He has gone from you've got a strong neck to you have a beautiful neck. That's important. Because he has grown in his communication. And let me tell you why he changed from you've got a strong neck to a beautiful neck. Because I guarantee the next morning she looked at him and said, could you not call my neck a, like a Tower of David that hangs bucklers on it? I, I don't like that. That's just like, I mean, come on, really? I got a neck that's as strong as David's tower that you can hang a bunch of shields on? Like, that's how you're going to tell me that I'm beautiful? Here's why I love this. He knows her. And he's communicating things to her now that will bless her in her language, not his. You see, to him as a guy, you got a neck like a Tower of David. (laughs) No, that one's not going to work. Now he says, you have a neck like an ivory tower. I love, now I guarantee The morning after this, she's going to go, hey, let's not do the whole my nose is as big as the Tower of Lebanon thing. (laughs) He's trying, though. He's trying to come up with new ways to express how much he loves her. Last verse. Take a look at verse 5. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, and the hair of your head is like purple. He says, you've dyed your hair. That's beautiful. Ladies, nothing wrong with dyeing your hair. It's in the Bible. And she dyed it purple. Says, listen, your hair of your head is like purple. A king is held captive by your tresses. He is completely captivated by her. Remember, hair in the Middle East is the sexual attractant. And he's saying, I am enraptured with you, and you're even dyeing your hair. Like, you're old. 
and I am completely enraptured with you. It's obvious their love has grown. And what I have found is that most couples, they live in what it used to be. Not this couple. They're still growing in love. He's even found ways to communicate to her in a way that blesses her. This is what true love does. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, true love grows and abounds. It grows and abounds. And here's where we close. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Everyone go there with me. I know we're almost done. It's 7.59. I'm being faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Trust me, I could go on and on, and we could be, some one of you could be like Eutychus and fall asleep and hit your head. I don't know if I've got the gift of miracles where you would be healed, but um, God bless you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, take a look. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. doesn't behave rudely. doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked, thinks no evil, doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I wish that my marriage represented this definition through and through. But it doesn't. It doesn't. And we've been, married, we've been together 33 years. But every day we work on it. You see, <clears throat> if we had a standard of love that we could attain, we'd stop trying. The standard of love is so high, so heavenly, that we get a lifetime to pursue it. This definition should not cause us to go, well, we'll never be that. This definition gives us our pursuit for a lifetime. This couple has chosen to pursue love. He describes her in such incredible ways, and they're older. Let me tell you why. Do you remember I told you the word sex is not found in the Bible? The Bible uses the word knowledge. And what the Bible is trying to communicate to us is the more you know someone, the more in love you will be with them. The more in love. And even though beauty will fade, when you see them, they get more and more Beautiful. And I'll tell you why. Paul said, though the outward man wastes away, the inward person is getting more and more beautiful each and every day. So when my triceps are waving when I'm waving, Andrew will look at me and go, You're so handsome. Do you know I don't even ask my wife if I match? When I walk out of the house, I don't ask her anymore if I look okay. Because anytime I dress, 
she'll look at me and she goes, you look great. Now I FaceTime my daughter because she has sent me out of the house and I do not match at all. Because whenever she sees me, she's just in love with whatever I wear. So now I'll call Selah. Selah, do I, your mom says I look okay. Dad, take those shoes off. <laughs> because she's not looking at my clothes. She's looking at me. God's given us 1 Corinthians 13 so that we pursue the definition our whole life. Amen? So if you're struggling with does not remember iniquity or doesn't keep a record of wrongs, start pursuing that change in your life. If you give up, love bears. Start pursuing. You see, the definition becomes our objective. And if you recognize there's area where you're not being kind and love is kind, it's time for you to change, not the definition. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for my Sunday night. I just praise you for this group. And I just love the way that they hunger and thirst for righteousness. And now as we close in a, word, a song, I just pray that this song would not just be a song that we sing, but real worship. We've spent some time with you. And we're just letting you know now, we're thankful for your word. We really are. In Jesus' name. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do as Phil sings this song. Just stay in your seat. You don't need to stand. And let it be just a solemn worship time. You can sing as loud as you want. Or you can sing as soft as you want. But let's just worship. And I'm only doing it different because I want us to think about this song a little different. Amen? Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.